Hello and welcome to Required Reading, the podcast that revisits the most impactful books from our childhood. I'm your host, Erin Bowles. I am a writer, actor, and little scamp. And our guest today is Sam Walt Jones. He is an LA-based actor, writer, and comedian. His TV credits include Chicago Justice, You Can Do Better, and Netflix's Unbelievable. He can be seen in national commercials for AT&T and Taco Bell, and has written jokes on multiple commercial campaigns for Cricket Wireless. Hi, Sam. Hi, Erin. It's so good to see you. Our book today, I'm elated for, is The Golden Compass by Sir Philip Pullman, also, I didn't know this, was released originally in the UK under the title Northern Lights. I actually knew that. I remember it was like a, a Harry Potter situation. Yeah. Philosopher's Stone, Sorcerer's Stone, Northern Lights, the Golden Compass, sort of a bigger discrepancy, but... And I think a much better title. Northern Lights yeah. is, reveals nothing. It's so vague, and like they do become a very pivotal part of the journey I'll say, uh, but they're not um, anywhere near the center of the book compared to the actual yeah. Golden Compass or the Alethiometer. I loved it. I was first introduced to this series because of the 2007 movie, mm -hmm. and they had, like, you could buy your own alethiometer, mm -hmm. and I had one. It was just like a lever you could pull, and it would mm -hmm. make a really loud sound, but I, I had such a kick out of it. How did this book come into your life? What's your story with it? I think it was a book that my mom had read. My mom has always been a big reader, and, you know, I grew up reading a lot of fantasy and we would read together quite a bit and i remember i think like maybe the movie had come out and i i knew that like she had read at least the first or second book and i was like oh you know i'll give it a go and i read it and i remember it being so much like darker than i expected it to be Absolutely. and i loved that i was really really excited that it tackled some like taboo themes because as a kid you're like oh, i don't get to like dive deep into this this is exciting um yeah. yeah and my mom was always very like you should absolutely read all these different perspectives and like who cares if it's like scary or sacrilegious perhaps the book was definitely in doing some research about it was definitely like challenged by a lot of religious groups i remember that like very vaguely around the book but i was so fascinated by it i loved this book this is the only time we've read a book on this podcast that I, it was my third reading of this book mm. i read it when i was younger and i only read that one and then when we were shooting flash season one so like 2020 2021 i read the whole series yeah um, and just phenomenal books it's just incredible. It's a special circumstance when the sequels hold up and are like even more exciting than the original. Like it continued to be such a fascinating series and all of the characters that even like the characters that that live through the books but then the characters that are introduced are you know incredibly interesting and they all add very very particular flavors and and perspectives which i was so excited for and i loved the i mean i i were i'm guessing we're probably fixating on the first one today but the Throughout all all the books, the um, the different worlds that we enter, the uh, devices that are used that uh, maybe bring to light just truths that we can't see in our reality or our dimension. 
was very exciting to me. And so I think that that kind of like magical realism, taking something that we understand quite, quite literally, um, or maybe it's a, it's an idea that's not super tangible, but making it super tangible was always really exciting. Oh my gosh. Don't feel bound just to talk about the first book. Okay. Go crazy. Go crazy. I've, I don't have solid memories of the first of the second and third, but yeah. I did have to like go through and was like, what actually happened? There's um, a lot that happens. Yeah. It's, it's a dense series. Yeah. I remembered a lot with, with her and Will. And I remembered mm -hmm. a lot of the third book with like the elephant creatures. Cause I, I was mm -hmm. so hard for me to, I'm a very visual, not necessarily a visual person, but certainly a visual reader. Yes. Um, which is, I think why, I think I read the book before the movie came out, but like a lot of things I read it because I knew there was a movie coming out and that like right. it, I couldn't read Harry Potter until I saw it. And it was like uh, being able to put visuals yeah. to concepts. Especially in the third one, there are a lot of um, visual, like the elephant creatures that have these like wheels that they've, they've basically, their bodies are attuned to utilize these nuts that have like yeah. fallen from these massive trees and these nuts they use them to wheel around and it was such like a departure from kind of uh the other creatures or the worlds that we had seen in the previous books that it, it was exciting and it was interesting and i i really enjoyed the, the that uh those sections um but yeah i totally I, that was definitely a part that i remember being like i cannot imagine how like what is the bone structure of this creature yeah. <laughs> I, I could not fathom it i am so excited to talk specifically about pullman because i think like just a dude i want to know um just such a cool person he was knighted in 2019 mm. for his services to literature he was named by the times in 2008 uh one of the 50 greatest british writers since 1945 mm. um 2004 BBC poll named the 11th most influential person in British culture. Oh my gosh. I, wow. <laughs> it won the Carnegie Medal for the Carnegie's 70th anniversary. It was uh, There was a panel that was supposed to come up with a short list for voting for an all-time favorite. And they put it in there in the top 10. It was named by the public vote the Carnegie of Carnegie's, number one. Um, it was, the whole series was ranked third in the BBC's Big Read poll in 2003. Um, and his, so he grew up um, before the age of like seven in Kenya. His father was an RAF pilot. He wow. um, died in a crash. And so Pullman like really lionized him. He saw this guy as a hero, killed in defending his country. And then I think in an interview in 2008, he was presented with some some contrary information. It was during the what's called the Mau Mau Uprising, which was basically hmm. Kenyan people standing up to British colonial rule in the 50s. And he was not sort of like defending his country. He was like bombing and machine gunning people who had almost no like ability to shoot back, almost no sort of ability to defend themselves. Mm. And he, which is like, this was, I think 13 years after the books came out and yet like so Lyra. So like of having this really wow. glory, uh, glorified parent that you learn all these different things about. Um, and in 2017, he hinted that 
the plane crash might have been deliberate, that his father, mm. there was something odd about the crash. He, quote, just took his plane up and flew it into the side of the hill. And there were rumors about, like, debt, maybe an affair. And the year after that, his mom remarried. They moved to North Wales. He discovered a love of comic books, of uh, Milton and William Blake. He spent time with his grandfather, who was in the clergy. Went to university, married, had kids. He taught at a middle school and wrote school plays, which I loved. <laughs> and then he started publishing his novels. He stopped teaching after his second book was published. And he said that, I loved this so much. He said he wanted to write fantasy realistically with, mm. um, the, he said there was no reason why fantasy shouldn't be realistic in a psychological sense. And it was the lack of that sort of realism that I objected to in the work of the big Tolkien and all the little Tolkiens, <laughs> which was so harsh. And he said that it's a direct rebuttal to the Narnia series, which he saw as religious propaganda. Which... Yes, it is very, very reminiscent. I mean, just like there are so many like themes in the book and also just visual elements that are so reminiscent of the Narnia series. Yeah. I specifically think about like, you know, Lyra as Lucy, you know? Absolutely. And yes, it is absolutely the opposite of what Narnia, the the, the propaganda per se, you know, it, it definitely does not lean into that. And I love that it was not necessarily like, I think, ex well, here's, I was going to say, like, it's not explicitly, like, anti-God. And there's, like, no, I think Lord Azrael. And the second one is, like, I'm going to fight God. No, oh, I'm yeah. going to kill I, no, God. Yeah. And just, I'm going to kill God. Which, damn, I can't, I can't hate. Um, <laughs> especially, like, this was hilariously also came up in our Narnia episode. I cannot, if James McAvoy is playing a character, mm -hmm. he can't do anything wrong. <laughs> Right. At least to me. Um, but like you said, like there's to the point where in one of the first scenes, the inciting incident happens while Lyra is in a wardrobe. It's so on the nose. And I, what a way to start a book. It's she, such an exciting way. Yeah, it's incredible. It's a great device to lay out a lot of like plot and technicalities mm -hmm. through like a, a PowerPoint presentation. And yet almost all of it occurs outside of her visual um, mm -hmm. world, which I think it was great. And I have so many things to touch on. I think I first wanted to ask just like, what was what was religion like in your childhood? Was it at mm -hmm. all in the scope? Like it's it's the it's the big thing with this book. Yeah, you know, I definitely was not raised religious um, whatsoever. I would say my parents are both, you know, at pretty agnostic. Um, I grew up in the South. I grew up in North Carolina. So there was definitely a lot of, you know, re religious um, uh, peers around me. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I think that like uh, my perspective on religion for a long time was just that it was like a, a sense of community for people. I think I had a lot of friends that, you know, regularly went to church or temple and, um, that was a, a big part of their their life or their upbringing. And then as I got older, I was like really just like anti-religion. I was super, super rebellious in, in the sense that I was just like, ah, we need to like actively speak against this. Um, just because I, you know, have a lot of issues <laughs> with, yeah. with, with uh, organized religion in general. Um, and I think that uh, this, book series um was 
just it really spoke to me because I think that you know so much of what Pullman you know um, is trying to say throughout this series is that there are you know there is a lot of propaganda and there is a lot of issues with organized religion and the way that it is built to uplift um, certain people while keeping other people in their place in, in in a lower in a lower caste system and I. I think that this book really, this whole series really like does not shy away from saying like, this is how you are, this is how you will be treated and how it will be spun. I think one of the overriding messages in the book is that adults can be wrong Mm -hmm. and things are so complex. I think these are some of the best characters I've ever read. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and that, and to challenge, to question. Um, I I think the first thing I wanted to talk about is this concept. I think in the show, they call it daemons. How do you want to pronounce this word? Because <laughs> I don't know. I always imagine as demons. Yeah. I, yeah. Good. Matt daemons. Well, it was all very <laughs> British. And I think they might have, instead of master, said meister. We just know that's wrong. That's yeah. wrong. And I have lost my HBO login, so we're never gonna know. <laughs> so I actually never watched the HBO rendition of this. Um, uh, of yeah, I it, it felt like it happened, and then I became aware of it a year later. I was like, had no clue it was being even being promoted. I watched the first season, and it was excellent. I mean, the cast like Ruth Wilson, I think is is the the perfect Mrs. Coulter. I think just mm. like she she has this iciness and this depth to her, um, just phenomenal. And I I can't think of her name, but the the girl who played Lyra, mm-hmm. phenomenal. And and Lyra okay. is a character that I would take a bullet for. Um, yeah. I love this little girl so much. Um, She's such a badass. She is, and and. Uh, uh, it, it is written in such an insightful way. There is such clarity of character there. And I think also such a clarity of her age. I saw this TikTok about, I think like very young kids are on TikTok now. And someone was commenting on like, when you are 10, you're you're trying on different personalities, different mm-hmm. groups, like trying to find where you fit. And that is exactly what Lyra experiences. There's mm-hmm. like, she's on the Egyptian boat and three days in, she's got the language down. She's saying like, I never want to leave here. She finds such um, sort of the same thing with the bears and her relationship with with Yorick is gorgeous. Again, like one of just it's it's a thing that it's like it's hard to talk about this book because I love it so much and because it's so good. Yeah. Um, And I think like the, you know, basically the pre maturity, the uh, which oftentimes is looked at as a negative thing but with the innocence of the youth in this world their demons have the ability to change they have the ability to um, try on these like as you said different personalities these different hats before they become more fixed and before they become more conscious of themselves self-conscious and it is beautiful and i i think that maybe in another world maybe one that we didn't see maybe there are people that that demons never stop changing maybe there are there are people whose personality is not um hindered or encumbered by um this uh idea of what you have to be in a society or or uh your self-awareness um getting in the way of letting you uh grow and change throughout yeah. your life 
I think there's this repeated phrase that Lyra wants everything to stay the same. And it's mm-hmm. not explicitly, I don't want to grow up, but it's, I, I wish things would stop changing. And they yeah. do really, really rapidly change for this little girl. Um, and I think that, I think that is so frustrating that your demon can freeze, especially because I think like the beautiful thing about adulthood and growing is that you never stop changing if you if you want to, if you're conscious of it, that you can always, always keep going. And the idea that like your demon, when it settles, reveals like your true self, your innermost nature, I think can be a bit of a bummer if you're a really mm-hmm. crummy person and then you get stuck that way. Um, and I, I loved the amount of insight it gave to other people the the lore is so deep in this world that there's a taboo against other people touching other people's demons that it's rare that demons talk to people that aren't their people Mm -hmm. that was great that it is not unheard of but very rare that a person has a demon that's the same gender as them yes which made me like it made me think about queerness and I'm like yes. is that like is that what we're trying to say here or like a, a, a transness I was I was definitely curious about that and then also just like there are people for example like a fisherman you know whose demon might be a dolphin mm-hmm. and then it's like well if your demon's a dolphin you're not really going to be able to go on land very far if you have this fixed this creature and it's painful to be separated from your demon it's not you're not able to be uh away from it for long periods of time without experiencing excruciating pain um which i think is also maybe the idea of like losing yourself or losing your soul your idea of who you are i love this book so much because like you said he does not hold anything back there there are such complex questions in this he explicitly in some of my research was like i don't think there should be labels of like what age group this is for of of like this is a girl's book versus a boy's book that doesn't benefit anyone and the sort of the big bad in this is that mrs coulter is trying to split or sever or separate kids from their demons and and one thing i wanted to say before we got to that like you were saying there are people who's who it seems like their demon is indicative of their job so like Mm -hmm. all the butlers have dogs for for demons and that that was very interesting to me and and i think like like you said because there are all these different worlds it doesn't mean that Pullman is like saying that this is good or how it should be. Mm-hmm. But that, and I think like all the nurses when they're in the North might also have all the same demons. I thought that was fascinating. And like, and then if you're born and you grow up and you have a dog or like you have a demon that settles into a dog, or you're just mm-hmm. like, well, I guess I can't do anything really cool. I can't be more than this. How, how limiting that is. Mm. Yeah, the idea that you're predestined or that you're, you know, the way that you settle at, I guess, say, throughout maturity or when you're um, reaching puberty Mm -hmm. is when you're going to be locked into this idea. And I think that especially in this world where it's so there, it's so tangible, it's in front of you, it's not something within you, um, everyone can see it. If you see somebody with this particular cocker spaniel uh you might know before you look at them that that's your butler right right so 
Yeah, the the jobs were always very interesting to me when when a person had a very uh, distinct animal connected with them, or if a person had a totally different, like, obviously, Mrs. Coulter has this golden monkey, which is beautiful, but devious. And it's like, it's exotic. It's interesting. It's beautiful. It's it's different than all the other creatures that we're seeing, except for maybe like the snow leopard. Exactly. The, the like the two Asheville. strongest characters have the most like exotic and yet specific because I think everyone else is like a cat, a bird, a dog. And right. these are so specific. And this concept that, that is explored with the bears that you were never alone. I mm. think that was as an only child, that was such an intriguing thing of absolutely never being alone. Yeah. Um, I wonder, do you have siblings? How did that just concept play out to you when you read this when you were younger? I don't know if I quite thought about it as broadly when I was younger. I think that, you know, I grew up with with two siblings, two younger brothers, and we we're all five years apart. So it all felt like we were, you know, going through like distinctly different parts of our lives. Um, you know, we were never in the same school. We were always had very different interests. So we were very and still are very different people. Um, and so the idea of like never being alone, I think that resonated a bit more, you know, when I reread it as an adult. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess like the idea of, you know, being self-reliant and, you uh, having your own best interests in mind and believing yourself in the way that maybe you would believe in somebody that's outside of you. Because when you have a literal representation of your soul that is physically materialized in front of you, it's much easier, I think, to maybe empathize or to encourage that part of, in theory, yourself than it is maybe in our world where we have that inside us. That is something that we do not get to see um, regularly. So I guess I, I never I never really considered um, the idea necessarily of like, you're never really like alone. But I, I, I like that. I like that it's a bit more of a um, intentional act to yeah. uh, tell yourself like, hey, you know, like you got it, you're good. Yeah, yeah I think like, and, and something that always struck me so much is is obviously they have a unity of like they know what each other is thinking they're able to act together and yet some of the most interesting moments are when they are in conflict with each other Mm. so in the opening sequences lyra's getting up to all sorts of mischief and pan is saying like this is really dangerous i don't like doing this sort of voice of of caution and reason which as a very anxious kid i was always like very thankful for i was thankful for the (laughs) hermione's who were like we are going to get detention and it's going to suck but i think one of the most interesting scenes is when when she is going to meet Yorick for the first time and she is scared and that relationship is all about fear and, and conquering fear and just phenomenal and Pan is pushing. Pan keeps going forward and he knows that it's painful and he's tugging on this leash towards her. I I loved that scene and I loved that idea of, of literally pushing yourself into the mm. things that are uncomfortable. Um, it's it, just what a great concept literary device i mean that that could be the one thing in the book that that is different from our own universe is one of the opening lines and yet it's just just one part of this amazing oh my god and it's interesting that there are different you know um creatures 
in this world that have different rules. So it's like, you know, you've yeah. got the people that have, or are, I guess, are the, are the version of people in this world that have their demons outside their bodies uh, that represent their souls. You've got the witches that have all, that also have demons, but they can travel very far away from their souls. And then you have these armored bears that have the representation uh, of their their soul in a inanimate object in their armor. So it's so distinctly different um, just between like just all three, just those three. And so I think that having, you know, these three creatures that can communicate um, that have such different I guess, experiences in the world that they live in, it makes them grow envious of each other, of like the abilities that that they're they're witnessing of the other people. So like you've got the king of the bears who wants a demon of his own so desperately. He wants to be basically be a person. He wants to have that. And that's how Lyra gets in there. Yeah, that's his downfall. Yeah. Yeah, his own downfall because he's not comfortable with who he is. He wants more. Yeah, and, and the pervading idea with the bears that they can create their soul and shape their soul mm-hmm. and lose it and make a new one is mm-hmm. so, I can't even start to, to understand like all of the, the ramifications and possibilities of that. And like you said, I, I think that's one of the starkest images in the book is when she comes into you know the the bear castle and there's this bear king holding a little doll yeah it's so it's pathetic i think like pullman gives you all of these these mixtures of emotion i think something i was thinking of just before we logged on is like there are moments between lyra and mrs culture where she is completely repulsed by this woman uh, and knows how bad she is. And yet it wants the tenderness, wants the kindness. I think there is that conflict of like, I hate this person and yet I still want to be loved by my mom. How devastating that is. Yeah, I loved the complexity of these relationships and the characters. I thought, you know, there were times when I hated Mrs. Coulter. There were times when I was rooting for her. There, There, you know, because she does have a love for Lyra. She does want what's best for her and her, you know, all villain, all good villains think that they're doing the right thing. Um, And so because she is a scientist, because she wants to learn more about the world that, that she exists in, she does really dark, dastardly things to children intercision to create this like burst of energy that would allow for her or whoever to travel between worlds which is where the northern lights come in where we get to see a representation of another world a portal that's created by this burst of energy and i just i was so excited to like as as a reader to be able to go through these different worlds but i was devastated you know by like the deaths and i was devastated by you know the betrayals that are so glaringly obvious to like the reader and to lyra by both her mother and her father um and yet i understood why they did it i understood like their perspective and i questioned myself whether or not the result was worth you know, the action. Yeah. And there's even that conflict in Lyra. I think every time, 
and especially as the book goes on, every time Lord Asriel does something, she said, like, I gotta respect it. Like, I, I respect his ambition. I respect, you know, not the means, but the end. And there's mm-hmm. so many, like, amazing cinematic scenes. I mean, the the final showdown, I mean, it's not even a showdown, but that final conversation between Asriel and Coulter. Mm-hmm. And that, every character is phenomenal. Azriel's speech to her there is like, come with me and I will love you. Don't come with me and I will completely forget about you and never think about you again. It's mm. the whole time he knows that Lyra is his daughter. And yet I think the first introduction we have to him is him saying, I'll kill you if you make a sound. Yeah, definitely. They were not made to be parents. They were, <laughs> they're very irresponsible parents but very fascinating characters and scientists and they have a mission that they are on they want to complete so desperately and they're like basically they have very similar goals in a lot of ways but they're adversaries like they really they want they want a lot of the same things and they will do what it takes to get them and yet at the beginning, at least, we view them as really starkly hero versus villain and not the complex real versions of them, which is like they are very much heroes and they are very much villains. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, and yet you want to root for them. And 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 Lyra experiences those same conflicts. We we are so with her and everything. There's there's just such i don't even know where i was going with it there's such a pull a push and pull and there is i mean am i lost and, words what a good i mean book. throughout it also like obviously lyra has like this guiding force like she has this this alethiometer this like truth teller essentially yeah. that runs on the same kind of energy that this whole kind of series is based around dust and the idea that like she is able to intuitively begin to read and kind of have a psychic intuition about specific questions that she asks almost like the universe is answering her um which i i loved i loved that there was this like guiding force that was created by this device and then later in you know, in the, the third book, we get to see it represented in a computer. Like we see it in such a different way. And it's like, it makes me, when I read these books, oftentimes I was thinking about like, what's like the one-to-one of like our world to their worlds. And like, what does that represent? And I always kind of wondered what like, what the alethiometer could be represented by in ours. And I don't think there is one really. I don't think there is like a, a hard and fast, um, one-to-one but like maybe it's just like this idea of this like gut instinct or intuition if everything's inside and you have this idea sometimes you have this feeling of what you know you need to do or like what what's right maybe that's it yeah and it being written in 95 i think is so interesting i saw something that said in in 95 i think one percent of the uk had access to the internet at home and -hmm. it's this moment just for a technological explosion and i think the alethiometer is about knowledge of course of the future and the internet is this beacon of knowledge but like you said for for me the thing that was so fascinating is is this intuition 
-hmm. And I think all of the symbolism and, and the layers, the level of calm required to do it. And, you know, the, I can't think of the aphorism, but like wisdom from the mouths of babes. And I think one of the things that I loved pretty early on is John Fa, the the king of the Egyptians at one point. He just treats her so well and, and that's such a great character and community. And he learns about the alethiometer and he says, you've done a really good job of keeping that safe so far. So we're gonna let you continue to keep that safe and yeah. we'll trust you with that. I loved the whole scene with the Egyptian meeting. I love that he says, we are keeping her safe end of conversation um another guy stands up and says like well you know that's putting a lot of us at risk and john Fogos, i know you're a better man than this yeah i know you are and shuts it down um i mean there's a lot of just like people standing up for what they really believe in throughout the series whether it's good or perceived good or bad like uh, all the characters are really really driven and there's so much at stake for everybody it seems small, but like, just like Lyra at the beginning being like, I need to rescue Roger. Like I need to be able to rescue my friend who's been taken by this bizarre, scary organization. And I don't know what's happening to these missing kids. And then the world expands so quickly before us, we get to see all of the reasoning and why this is happening and all the darkness. But, you know, just like, the small guiding light that these people that even she had just in this moment um that obviously sets off a chain of events that then become so much bigger than she could have ever imagined i always felt bad because i was like i don't i don't care about roger i'm so sorry lyra like i care about yeah. you but just <laughs> I'm, I'm not there for him but his death yeah. is heartbreaking and devastating yeah. that I mean, talk about a movie moment every time when she shows up at Lord Asriel's house at the end and he says, I did not send for you. Like what a, just what a line even to, it always sticks with me. She comes to a point where she's like, I, I forgot about Roger and I'm, I feel horrible about that. She's, she has her flaws and a, she's a child. So they're, yeah. and, and I think that's great to like, to, to be a kid and to see that and see her still as a complete and wonderful person, she challenges her own beliefs a lot. And I think like, e even with this shadowy organization that at the beginning sounds like, sounds like an urban legend of like, these people are coming and they're Goblins. snatching you up. Exactly. They, they, they sound like, you know, a, a made up story to tell your kids to come in at night or something right. like that. Folklore. Exactly. That's the word for it. And yet, and I think there's, you know, one of the pervading messages is adults are wrong often, or they are lying to you, or they are keeping secrets. And so that it's like, from the beginning, the children are correct, that they are onto something and they know something. And I just keep coming, <laughs> I just saying, and, and then freezing, <laughs> and getting, getting lost in the, the sauce of the book. Yeah, I mean, they, they have, like, really unobstructed views of like their world like they literally are oftentimes like running across the roofs of the buildings so they're kind of like seeing the world from a very different perspective than the adults around them and all the adults have you know clear agendas or they have individual missions that they're on whether it's just to like raise more money for the college or if it's to the egyptians are are, are traveling and, and, and kind of just making sure that they have enough money and means in order 
order to like keep their their young you know safe yeah the the idea of like the adults can be wrong and the importance of a I guess like a pure like unadulterated goodness I think is really important too um throughout the series because regardless of like the extraordinary um discoveries that Azriel and Mrs. Coulter are are able to make because of their their work their the the violence that's included in it there is like such an inherent darkness and evil about it that i think is so clearly lost when your life becomes so focused on your work maybe or like a, a mission a, a an idealized party it makes me think of politics too yeah. you know um and i just like I, i'm glad that it reminds me of that like as an adult too that like i do want to have a continued kind of like goodness in what i in, in how i move through the world and sometimes it means you know talking back to scary people that have a lot of power and uh or maybe it's just being aware of it maybe it's just being aware that those powers are around not to become a conspiracy theorist but like mm-hmm. just to have an awareness that like hey yeah oftentimes there are there are systems that are put in place to keep people in power and they will protect it they will they will make sure that that's not taken down this book i think is is my favorite that we've covered on the podcast like this and this and hunger games are sort of are, are parallel to each other because they both are talking about like there are there are systems of power that are are constructed that you have to you know in the hunger games and in and this as well you can try to obliterate but they are there and at least for a while you have to learn to work within them and and going back to the egyptians i mean there was it was a few small moments um, but they said, like, we as a community are going to be more affected by these things, mm-hmm. by the gobblers, than you are. And I think we're also going to be less believed, um, mm-hmm. which was such a little moment and yet, like, gives you as a kid a way to talk about those things. Um, mm-hmm. There's even a moment where I think Tony Costa says, like, yeah, you can live with us, but you aren't one of us and you're never going to be one of us. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And just you know being really frank about like hey like you might be able to have perspective on the way that we move through the world but you don't have an authority or a the full scope of an experience um and i think that like there is that you know curiosity in lyra to and and also like as just a, a, a childlike like want to be accepted everywhere you go um and it's important to her and i yeah i i loved her relationship with the egyptians and i loved just the way that she continuously she moved through like these different these different world or worlds and just like uh these different people's experiences with like respect for everybody but at the same time like a really discerning eye like to be like I know what's right and what's wrong and we're not gonna f around here yeah i think 
the the opening not opening but the early sequence and time with miss coulter is fascinating because she immediately is in love with this woman she immediately she's very typified by like just the essence and beacon of femininity of glamour mm-hmm. um and yet there is something sinister there especially in the monkey i think that's the first that um early scene where the monkey fights sort of t- tackles pan yeah. is so affecting and chilling i think just and it's it's a world we are not yet and used it seems to like the, the monkey is going to like choke pan is going to really really and it does hurt him mm-hmm. and he says it hurts and lyra feels it because they're so they're connected and it's deeply scary and the monkey is just like it's an outward expression of a very inward reality that mrs Coulter experiences she has this cunning devious inside voice that is really really hungry and really that's the perfect eager. way to put it yeah yeah hungry. just hungry for for power they the, i mean clearly the the Monkey wants to retrieve the alethiometer for her. She wants answers. Information is everything for her. And the fact that her own daughter, who, you know, we we learn all this, like that that Lyra's, you know, her her daughter. I actually we learned that pretty early, I think. Yeah. And then Lord Asriel, we learned that he's her father a little later. I think I think they're the same scene. I I was reviewing earlier and it's like I was reading it on Libby and they have on the bottom your your progress. Yeah, it was at 30%. It was okay, right at the end of the first act. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah, she just world is rocked. But also like it, it makes sense. It's like I have this understanding of why I'm being called to these people or why I have this like eagerness about learning so much about what they're doing and and how they're they're moving through the world because it's just fascinating to her she's bored by the college she's like she's like i don't i don't need to yeah i need to i need to get out and explore i need to see what you're seeing i'm always going to be endlessly fascinated by coulter and the golden monkey the scene in which the monkey tackles pan in the show is is phenomenal it's a great scene and there's a moment I think maybe right before where Pan is talking to Lyra and he says that he saw Miss Coulter like holding on to the monkey and with like white knuckles. And there's, I forget exactly what it is in the scene in the show, but they expand that a little bit further of her like hurting her demon. And, and I think that's like scary just on, on a level of like seeing a grown person hurt an animal. And then it it still has, I like, I consciously have to remember like, no, that's her self and and how how tragic that is yeah the sort of like inner rage mixed with a restraint Mm -hmm. of just going apeshit for no pun intended but like but you know like she has like she's an adult, like, you know, if you're a uh, well-adjusted person, like you are able to rein in your emotions. But for her, she feels things so severely and so deeply that like, maybe in a person you would see them gripping their arm with like, and leaving nail indentation or whatever it is, but it because it's 
physical eyes. We see this version of her. It's outside. Yeah. She's like, it's almost like a distraction, you know, like harming herself through this, this, the monkey. It was also very interesting throughout just the books, just the idea that like the, this thing is yourself, but has its own almost consciousness. Like it, it's, it maybe is representative of like the soul is a part of the unconscious mind and that like that it has its own desires and its own, um, its own uh, perspectives that are sometimes at odds with the consciousness. And it doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just means that that's all a complex part of the way that you move through the world, which was always really curious to me. And in some way that when your demon settles, that you lose some degree of that. Mm. And and I, I think like just at the baseline of like, even as you grow older, grow smarter, I think like at some point in puberty, it becomes really hard to, to get the same level of insight into yourself mm. um, because all of those, those external things come in. Yeah. Yeah. The, it was always really interesting about like, the idea that dust represented like original sin yeah yeah and that like adam and eve and the like that somehow the biting into the apple represented this like this self-awareness this like almost turning to inward becoming aware of yourself which is aligned with the maturing of a child into an adult and that they all stem from original sin like the reason of the tethering between these beings is because of that I mean, that is so blatantly, obviously, you know, related to religion and, you know, the the religion that is in our world. Um, But I was always, always fascinated with how, like, distinctly they were, they were like, this is what it is, you know? Yep. And that they they say this is what it is in book one. So we can really go apeshit with it in books two and three. And, and I think, I haven't read the Bible, I don't know it very well, but that, I think you might have said it, I, that they eat the apple, dust and to dust you shall return, and that's when they get clothed. And to me, that was like, I don't know if I ever realized that that was the start of shame, mm-hmm. as clearly as it is here. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know what, what how much shame sort of plays into this, because Lyra doesn't really seem to experience that, and is that like... Is that it? Certainly, is a thing that escalates with puberty and self consciousness. Yeah, I think it definitely does. I think that there is just a, you know, childlike wonder and just a youth, youthful innocence of the way that you know, in especially in this world, like people experience the world, um, kids experience the world in particular. And uh, there is something that is, you know, sort of um, lost or like hardened because of the way that the world is because of the harshness, because of the difficulties, the way that you have to survive, that you have to almost 
become part of like a machine. You have to, your, your creature has to fix, it has to become a fixed. It has to, uh, whether it's a job, whether it's like, I know what I am, I'm becoming obedient. I'm going to be a dog or my creature is a dog because I am from a line of butlers or I am a hardworking, you know, um, rancher. And so I'm going to have a horse, you know, it's so, maybe built in to um, the way that uh, just the culture is in this, in this world that maybe there are people that live on the other side of this planet that their creatures don't become fixed. Maybe that they always are changing. Who knows? I, I mean, that would be really interesting. I'd love to explore that. Yeah, there's such little details of even like they mentioned New France a couple times. The like the he does obviously the world is so well built even outside of you know England and the little bits that we see. And right. there's the fucking blimps. I mean, I think this is mm-hmm. really for for a lot of kids where you either start in like steampunk or get bit by the dark academia bug and i think right. it was the latter for me yeah absolutely. that's fine that's good yeah <laughs> i agree less steampunk more dark academia the steampunk is really just the blimps lee scorthy and the hot air balloons and yeah i mean he and the bear have more backstory than i remember it is not really touched on yeah but that's just a fascinating dynamic they were in the wars together yes they have more it definitely is touched on in the second and third books (laughs) more distinctly especially when we find out about are we spoiling things for people like go for lee, it lee dies in the third book i believe and yorick Bernison eats his body yeah and i was like huh yeah it, it's i remember sobbing reading it yeah and then as i was reading it the first season of the show was coming out so i was like lin-manuel eaten by polar bear Right. On my screen? Are they continuing the series? I think, yeah, it's finished. Um, I watched like the first half of season two, but I never got to the, the Lin-Manuel eaten by a polar bear. And I don't okay. even know if it's I need in the to show. Watch because just for that. I need to yeah. watch just for that. Just because I'm wondering if they, I wonder if they dip into that. Because it's a great, like, Tumblr would go crazy for that. Thing. Yeah. I have a question. Wh- who's your favorite character throughout all the books? Oh, I, so I don't remember the second and third super well, but the, is it Dr. Mary in the second and third book? Yes. The, I really yes. love her. I think she was just like, f- finally like a really nice adult to like take on and level with Lyra. I remember really liking Will and just, it, it's the trio. It's the family right. of Lyra and her parents because they all are sort of together. It's Lyra. I yeah. love Lyra. <laughs> I was fascinated by that doctor character because I think that she was supposed to represent like the snake, right? Like I kept, I feel like I kept, I think that was referenced in the books and then maybe mm-hmm. upon like reading, like that she's supposed to be the person that brings the apple, you know, the that creates this awareness, you know, or like helps facilitate it, which was always so interesting to me um, because we mostly see her initially in this elephant world where there are these elephant creatures 
with these i mean we we see her with lyra when lyra you know investigates this dark matter but when she finds you know that when she has this window into the other into this new world we didn't even get into the subtle knife i mean the subtle knife in itself is just a fascinating i loved that device just to be to you know um to navigate but yeah, when she's when she's in the uh, elephant world with the nuts, the, the 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 nut wheels, and the nuts like have precious oils in them. Do I remember yes. that correctly? The oils that give the elephant creatures sentience that cause them to interact part. more with the n- dust, and it's the idea of like this like sentience. Um, this self-awareness in this ver- this world, this dimension that um, gives them the connection to everything yeah. and how it differs. So how, it just it's it's a common theme, but it's so different in the facilitation of how that connection is made, you know? Yeah, it and I don't know how often Pullman has his own mind made up about all of these questions i think i yeah i don't know i mean there are very clear ideas and themes that he you know sends home throughout the books standing up to authority about kind of like cult mindsets Mm -hmm, um and i think about like there there's just like these inner I mean, kind of like inner demons that uh, literally that all of these people uh, are fighting because they're Lyra has to oftentimes even do things that she doesn't think is right or like has to like go along with ideas, you know, like even after Lord Asriel kills Roger and then she's like, well, I'm still going to step through this world, you know, into this burst of energy. It's there. You know, I don't, I'm not, I don't agree with, with the way that it happened. I'm devastated by it, but I have to go through. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder what I, something that fascinated me is later on, I think it's when she's with Egyptians, someone says like, everyone at, at Oxford loved you. They loved you like you were their own child. And I think she, she didn't cognitively recognize that, but I think that moment to take that big leap into the next world is is this idea that came up in the Hunger Games a lot for me is like, what do we owe each other as people, as humans to continue and to, to be together? And mm-hmm. I owe it. I think it is like with Roger, it's like she has this pragmatism of like, he's dead and I can't do that. So I got to make this worth something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She, you know, she has to like grow up really quickly and like, I mean, by the ends, end of the series, I mean, her demon is set and it's... Is it an ermine? Like a... Yes. Like a weasel? Yes. And, you know, they have to make she and Will, who have been brought together because of the circumstances that unfold after these worlds are connected, have to make a very conscious and deliberate decision despite having fallen in love with each other you know to not be in the same world because yeah. there was a theme that i wonder if it was I, it might have been lord asriel that mentioned that 
you can't stay too long outside of your own world because if you do you start to lose yourself and like you start to it, it like will kill you yeah yeah, yeah. do i remember that correct i know will's father in will's like timeline universe disappears when he's young and then he yes. goes into I think Lyra's world and finds his father there. Yes. And he's played by Andrew Scott, hot priest from Fleabag. No um, way. And does he die because he's been in the wrong place for too long? Is that how that goes down? Yes. He, he dies. He dies pretty soon after meeting Will. Mm -hmm. Will like meets his dad and then he dies pretty, yeah, pretty much immediately. After. Like pretty immediately. And it's just like these kids are experiencing such trauma and are, you know, trying so desperately to like make sure that like dead are okay. And like there's these, you know, there's the idea of like you've got your soul represented by these creatures and then you have your spirit, you know, that's represented by ghosts that are literally in like the underworld and this different, and yeah. it's, not, it's not even the under, it's just a different dimension, just like Will's world is different from Lyra's, but the world that the dead go to is just another cut away from the subtle knife. And, you know, I think that, that definitely the idea of the, the body, the soul and the spirit, you know, the Trinity, a holy one. Yeah. Yeah. It's another reference to, you know, religious fig. It's like, it's just so well. It's so good. It's so good. It's so, it's so smart <laughs> and it's complex. And I loved when they went to the underworld or like the other. The, the yeah. In, so in the third scary. book. Yeah. And, and if I remember correctly, they have to leave their demons outside. Yes, and, do, and it's so painful, and, and yeah. they have to basically like meet their own death. They have to meet the representations of their own death, which are like these like shadowy yeah. silhouette figures. Yeah, it's it's such a great series, and I wish that people would read it if they knew how complex and dark it was. But I think when it came out, it was like almost. People thought it was a kids' movie. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah, I, feel like there, I had a Nintendo DS game for it for the 2007 really? movie. Yeah, and I, I just remember getting to meet a polar bear, and then the game to like ride on the polar bear was too hard, and I just gave up. But yeah, and it was it was Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig, and the girl who played Lyra went on to Skins. Um, right. And I loved her on Skins. I, it was one of the oh, What a show. <laughs> People today don't get it. Maybe they do because they have euphoria. But but Skins was grimy. Oh, Skins was like just... I've, I, I, I've never been so scandalized. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah coming home from summer camp and watching Skins. Yeah. I, I loved this... Um, I'm a sucker for a prophecy. Um, and I loved that the pervading one is is that Lyra has to do it without knowing what she's doing. Um, and that I think John Faw says 
she can't know what she's doing so we have to let her be free to make mistakes Mm. and then i think seraphina pecola one of the witches near the end says that she's supposed to be the end of destiny Mm. holy moly that lyra is supposed to be yeah or i believe so i think it's in like the same conversation it's a little vague but in the same conversation as discussing this is the child we have waited for yeah that is interesting because it then calls into i mean if we're gonna relate everything to ourselves and our world that we live in of like when does this take place if it takes place far before our time then maybe there was a time in a world where there was, you know, this predestination, there was this, this destiny that had to be followed. But the idea of knowing what it was supposed to be would actually interfere with the destiny itself. And, you know, then it calls into question free will and like, what's, what is the, what is supposed to happen? And, and did somebody have to die because of, you know, it's, it's, that is interesting. The idea of like, she is the end of destiny yeah. is very curious. And just even in, in the prophecy at the beginning, it's that she will be betrayed. And yet the, the reveal is that she is the one doing the betraying without mm-hmm. knowing. Just devastating. Just yeah. And the betrayal and then, of herself. Yeah. Because she has to leave herself behind. She has to leave her demon behind in order to go into the the world of the dead yeah and so this like ultimate betrayal yeah you know i it was interesting when that happened i was like i could understand how painful like right just the way that it had been conveyed but i was almost like relieved i was like relieved that it was a betrayal of herself in a way rather than it being like a betrayal of will or like a betrayal of another person because to me like maybe that's kind of phrased to be a betrayal but i i didn't i didn't view it that way i didn't view it to be yeah it's like utter betrayal i viewed it as like oh she's making a really really hard decision and pan is like such a distinct part of her but she i think deep down just knows that she's going to find him again maybe she doesn't maybe she's like i i actually don't know if it's gonna i'm gonna be able to come back i might die in this other world but I know that I can't bring him with me, you know, really sad. Yeah. I remember reading up to it, dreading it, like knowing it was going to happen and just, oh, just begging for it not to. Yeah. There was one line that I wrote down earlier today after she, I think it's after she learns who her parents are. It's a third person narrator line where it's something like Lyra is off with her new sense of, her own story. I I just thought that was fantastic. That is a theme that comes up continually in, in this podcast about telling your own story and also telling it as it's happening. Isn't it the most radical to write a story that goes beyond the world, that goes beyond expectation of destiny, of, of how things are, like the laws of physics? Absolutely. I think that she, it's not that she's like fearless, like she's absolutely held back by uh, by all of the natural fears that one would have navigating a a really vicious violent world where there are forces moving against you actively and also moving into other worlds literally that you have no preconceived notions of or like 
know what's safe. Like literally the world yeah. that she goes to first, that abandoned, like strange, like Italian seeming town that like- Yes, with angels and- That have like these invisible um, creatures that will suck the soul out of you um, when you reach that, like the age of maturity, yeah. you know? And will kill. it will ultimately kill you or it'll leave you as this like husk of a person. Yeah. Yeah, she like navigates all of this without being fearless, but 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 acting despite fear. Yeah, I think there might even be a line uh, when she she drops herself into so many predicaments. But it's a thing of like she wasn't afraid because she was a child with imagine without imagination, and it's mm -hmm. something like she can't imagine all of the possible horrible things that might happen i was so almost almost confused by that line and yet i really like it yeah there's one line that i quite liked that was that's the duty of the old to be anxious on behalf of the young and the duty of the young is to scorn the anxiety of the old i highlighted that too it's just yeah. so good and so apt and so on it it's it just there's not every single level of this writing is so incredible and profound and simple yeah. and relatable despite how fantastical it is and it's like haunting and it's beautiful and it's strange and i just think it's so exciting i i my favorite type of book is just one where so much happens. I, I just love, I love this clear, long, just interesting, complex plot. I can appreciate a quiet story, but I think that the things that, I, the books that I find the most delicious, the most, is like a book like this. Yeah. It is, it makes you think it is strange, eclectic. It's got interesting visuals. It's a different world. Uh, and also these characters are so, so fun. And like, I just, I care so deeply about so many yes. of them. And also I hate them. And I, it's, it's every, it's every feeling. Yeah, it is. It is a book with, at least for me and my tastes is so, it grabs you so tight. It, yeah. it engages you emotionally to such a high extreme. Yeah. Um, man. Oh, if you had, if you're, if you're a demon, oh. what would your demon be? Uh, the eternal question, you know, um, yeah. do you have an answer? Um, you know, I think that mine would be a monkey. Why? I think that like, because it's playful, um, it would be not the golden monkey. It would yes. be, uh, definitely a chiller, like yeah. silly monkey. Um, but I like the idea of having a particular color, maybe like yeah. bronze. One of like, those that like sit in the, the hot springs in the north and like drink juice boxes on Instagram. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> are you like the ones like in China? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. One, yeah. I, I, if you're talking about star, I know exactly <laughs> who you're talking about. <laughs> like live, live in a temple. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that mine would be a like playful monkey yeah. because... I think that I do have a sort of like childlike, or I try to keep that alive. Yeah. I try to keep that alive in myself. And so I think that that would be, it would be nice to have a reminder to be like, hey, have fun when you can have fun. Yeah. And I, I think that a demon is meant to be, yeah, those things that you can't 
as easily maybe externalize. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's um, Pan is is the voice of caution when when Liar is such an adventure. I don't know what mine would be. I think like the I've always been a cat person, and so I that but that feels like too easy, too cheap, of of an answer. I feel like it would have to be real little, whatever I am, or real big. I don't know. Um, I've been told I have tall energy, Hmm. Hmm. not bones. <laughs> oh. So either something small or tall. Something, nothing medium. Nothing medium. My boyfriend is a joke the other day where um, he made a funny headstone for himself and printed it out with AI and he's put it on the walls. And then I found it very sweet. He did one for me and it read um, smaller than average coffin, larger than average life. And <laughs> he isn't that good. That's very sweet. It's like spooky, but it's sweet. Yeah. Different Sour Patch flavor. They're spooky, and then they're sweet. You should sell that to them. Halloween's coming. I'm sure. I'm sure they're on it. <sighs> Damn it. I should have really gotten to them earlier. <laughs> How does having revisited, like, have you revisited it as an adult before? What was the experience like of rereading it? I reread it last year. I reread the, the whole series. Mm -hmm. um, and I just thought it was so incredibly written. And... So genius, and it was thought-provoking and beautiful and devastating and interesting and explorative and colorful and bleak. It had all of these different these different elements, and I was so transfixed by everything and it I had forgotten so much yeah. um and I don't think the first the first time I had read it I, I don't think I had finished the series and so like going back and like reading the entire three books I was like wow this is like affecting me much more profoundly I think as an adult than maybe I would have appreciated as a kid I think it definitely rewards uh, rereading Mm -hmm. And I also wonder, like, it, it, isn't it a beautiful thing that Philip Pullman gave kids a book that kind of grows with them almost? Yeah. If I were to write an essay for this, I would give myself a gold star for that line. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Would you consider it required reading? I think it should be. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think that I'm sure that it's banned in many places, but I think that it's just... A reminder to like, you know, do your own research. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, but honestly, to question power. Absolutely. To question authority and to, I think, like, follow your, you like, internal goodness, like, yeah. your, your, your moral compass. You know, we've got the golden compass. We've got a moral compass. Exactly. I think that, like, as long as your, you know, your North Star is right, then, and you're heading in a way that feels good i think that that's really important absolutely i absolutely consider it required reading bare minimum if you have to like take an english class just for how well it's written oh my god agree and character development i mean oh my, oh god. my god yeah thank you so much for coming on is there anything you'd like to plug before we end oh my goodness do i have anything to plug right now let's see i i frequently produce comedy i uh 
am planning on on having a lot of stuff at the beginning of this next year and i've got a couple things lined up with the elysian um more in may uh i'm going to be doing a second season of my uh live satirical survivor show oh um which i'm very excited for uh the first season was incredibly fun and such a wild ride i'm so grateful for all the amazing comedians and guests that we had on um and for you know how uh truly cutthroat all these players played um and i'm excited to see what this next round of performers do, do. I, I think it'll be just as exciting if not more and uh yeah i mean you can follow me on socials i'm i think i'm at sam walt jones on on all on all media <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been amazing. And and thank you for bringing this book back into my life. Holy, holy God. Wow. Oh, it's an honor. Thank you for speaking with me. If you have any other good book recommendations, I would love. Oh my gosh. I, an hour ago, I finished uh, Passing by Nella Larson. That was okay. phenomenal. So good. And very short. It was like 120, 120 pages. Really good. All right. Idea. I'll definitely, I'll check that out. I'm, I'm reading, um, the seven wife or the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo right Ooh, now. I'm a big old Hollywood fan, so I've heard I've been told to read that. Let me know how it is. It's good so far. All right. Thank you so much to Sam. I mean, a book that I will I will always want to reread and I'm getting ready to put that subtle knife audiobook on. That sounded really bad for a minute. That sounded really bad. All right, yes, Texas. Yes, Texas? Yeah? Oh, big yawn. Our next episode is The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath. So buckle up. Not only did they do ECT, they had insulin shock treatment. Just wild. All right, I'll see you then. Love ya, toodles. I'm afraid that when I say love ya, it sounds like I'm like riffing on Dylan Mulvaney, and I'm not, although she's great. It's just like that's also how I end conversations because love is infinite. Bye.